And now, a faux fiction audio production published by Not A Pipe Publishing. Super Guy by Kurt Klopton. Super Guy, the generic alternative. Less superhero hype, same superhero quality. Chapter 5 Oliver pulled his dark blue Dodge Omni to a stop in front of his garage door. Technically, it wasn't his garage door. It was Mrs. Lundquist's, the elderly woman who owned the house and from whom Oliver rented a tiny second-floor efficiency apartment. Living there did have one perk, as Oliver liked to think of it, and that was the garage. A very useful thing to have if you went through winters in Wisconsin and had to drive to work every morning. You had to clear the driveway of snow occasionally, but at least you didn't have to scrape the frost off the car windows every morning. Of course, the garage, like the apartment, was tiny and came with no extras. It was detached from the house, had no power so you couldn't see anything inside at night, and the door was obviously a manual one. You had to raise, well, manually. Since he had to stop and get out to open the garage door anyway, Oliver always emptied his car of whatever he needed to take into his apartment before driving it inside. The car was so small that the gap between the car and the wall made it hard to get out if you were unlucky enough to be wearing a winter coat, let alone the ridiculous idea that you might try carrying something too. This particular evening, Oliver unloaded his gym bag, his backpack with the work he had to do that night, and the plastic bag of various medications he'd purchased at the drugstore on the way home in preparation for whatever cold or virus he had contracted. Setting them aside, he approached the garage door and mentally prepared himself for turning the handle, which was always a battle. He had closely examined the old metal handle a hundred times and coated every inch of it and all connected machinery with various types of oils and lubricants, but the thing was still both a test of will and a feat of strength to get turned. Lifting the old, heavy door was a breeze compared to turning the ancient handle. Oliver centered himself in front of it, planted his feet firmly on the ground, and bent his knees slightly. Exhaling slowly, he counted to three in his head, and then twisted the handle with both hands, letting out an unconscious grunt as he did. <laughs> the handle, apparently forgetting its usual role in this mythic tale, turned with a simple click, almost as if it were made to do that. Oliver opened his eyes, which had been closed in anticipation of the strain, and looked at the handle. It was the same old handle. No one had replaced it with a new working version. He looked around at the garage and then over at Mrs. Lundquist's light yellow house, wondering if this were some look-alike at which he had mistakenly arrived. There were a lot of similar old houses with detached garages in the neighborhood, so it was feasible Oliver had stopped at the wrong one, possibly because of the delirium accompanying the early stages of his illness. But after a couple of turns back and forth between the garage handle and the house, it seemed he had indeed arrived at the right one. Looking up at the sky, Oliver wondered if this particular night held some perfect blend of temperature or humidity and barometric pressure, whatever that was, which had made this possible. No doubt a complex combination of factors that would never be repeated again in this millennium. After a couple of seconds, he shrugged and lifted the door. 
Perhaps it was simply a little good karma for all the bad he'd had lately. He pulled the car inside, shuffled sideways out of the garage, and shut the door behind him. The garage handle clicked quickly and competently into place, which also never happened, and Oliver carried his stuff up the exterior wooden staircase toward the door of his apartment. About halfway up the stairs, Oliver noted that his right knee didn't hurt. Usually, he did a bit of a funny, stiff-legged walk up the stairs because it took some of the weight off his knee, which routinely ached a little extra following a couple hours of basketball. Tonight, it wasn't hurting at all. Oliver guessed it was just a fluke, but secretly hoped his knee had finally given up hurting and gotten better. That was possible, wasn't it? Or maybe this night of perfect weather conditions, responsible for the easily functioning garage handle, had done the same for his knee. He wasn't sure if it was a good thing or not that what fixed a rusty ancient metal apparatus also fixed his knee, which was presumably made of different stuff, but one can't be too picky. Maybe it's a little more of that good karma. Oliver said to himself as he climbed the last few stairs to the landing. A few million more similar things and it might make up for the rest of my life. Unlocking his door, Oliver thought about it some more. He did have a particularly good night at basketball, so maybe there was something to this idea of good karma. Especially since he hadn't even expected to play after the way he had started feeling earlier in the day. But maybe it was the sickness that was responsible for it. Oliver had not missed much at all shooting the ball, and even surprised himself with a couple of the passes he made. The kind where he wasn't even sure he had seen the opening before the pass was out of his hand. That wasn't a common part of his game. And there had been some defense, too, even a blocked shot. Oliver never blocked shots. Maybe he was, actually, having a run of good luck. It's certainly not something he would have recognized, it being the most endangered species in his world. However, in the very next instant, Oliver was cursing himself for believing it was possible as he scraped his knuckles against the side of the door jamb. He had done the same thing so many times in the past it was ridiculous, but it wasn't really his fault. It was a hazard. The handle was placed so close to the edge of the door that if he wasn't extremely careful as he turned and pushed, his hand would scrape along the door jamb and he'd leave a sizable chunk of skin behind. Of course, he didn't know what was worse, the fact that he kept forgetting and doing it repeatedly, or that he never just replaced the knob with one in the proper location. Oliver froze, waiting for the pain to start, and not wanting to look to see how much of the back of his hand was scraped off. But as the seconds wore on, no pain arrived. Looking down at his hand, Oliver found it to be in surprisingly good shape, with no bleeding at all. There were a couple of light red marks, but no long scrapes or broken skin at all. Maybe his streak of good luck or karma, whatever it was, was still intact. He examined the door jam and noticed the thick metal plate that usually did the bulk of the damage was bent. That must be what kept it from drawing blood this time around, but Oliver didn't know how it had gotten bent, or for how long and in what way. It looked like the door would still close and latch properly, so he decided he would leave it, seeing as it might save him from future injury. Inside the apartment, Oliver dropped his backpack on the coffee table, where he'd be slaving away on work the rest of the night, tossed his gym bag onto the bed he assumed he wouldn't be using because of the work, and set his bag of meds on one of the tiny slivers of counter in the kitchen. 
The truly amazing thing about how Oliver had deposited each of his bags in their place, which gives a person a true sense of the smallness of his apartment, was that he was still standing just inside the front door. If he wanted, he could probably go to the bathroom from there, too. Real one-stop shopping. But at least the apartment was cheap. It could possibly be classified as a studio apartment, but that made it sound much more pleasant and sophisticated than it was. Oliver guessed it had originally been two bedrooms on the second floor of the house that had been converted into an apartment by knocking down the separating wall, converting one side into a combination bedroom-living room and the other side into a kitchen and bathroom. It doesn't sound too bad, but they weren't big rooms to begin with, so calling it a kitchen was being generous, and even Kitchenette was pushing it. On the living room side, Oliver had a twin bed pushed against the far wall with its foot in one corner and its head against a narrow, somewhat rickety wardrobe that served as his closet and dresser. Between the bed and the kitchen table, Oliver had squeezed in what was either a smallish couch or a largest chair, depending on how you measure that sort of thing, and on the opposite wall hung a small flat-screen television. It happened to be the cheapest refurbished model Oliver could find when his old tube-style one finally died. The television was roughly centered between the wardrobe and the front door. The coffee table occupied what little was left of the precious open space in the room. Open space wasn't plentiful on the other side of the apartment either. Taking what was a smallish bedroom and then throwing up a wall, plus appliances and fixtures for both a kitchen and bathroom, tended to fill things up pretty quickly. Basically, Oliver had a hallway's worth of space with a sink and appliances along one wall to serve as the kitchen. It could conceivably be called a galley kitchen, but that implies some kind of style or planning. All this remodeling had been done long ago, too, so the appliances weren't space-age miracles of compact manufacturing, just old eccentricities that probably didn't last for very long on the market. A two-burner stove and toaster oven combination? Who knew? The bathroom had its own inadequacies, the main one being that it contained only an extraordinarily small bathtub with no shower option, which is why Oliver took advantage of the gym showers after basketball as often as possible, despite the dangers of weird foot fungi. Grabbing the remote off the coffee table, Oliver turned on the television as he headed into the kitchen to discover if he had anything to eat. He passed his newly purchased meds on the counter and thought about whether he should get some into his system, but realized he didn't think he needed it. In fact, since he had really felt the sickness starting to come on about lunchtime, it hadn't gotten any worse, and now he actually felt fine. It was probably just the calm before the storm, and the cold or whatever it was would hit as soon as he sat down later to work so that already punishing experience could be made more dreadful. But at least Oliver had managed to sneak in some exercise at basketball first. From the television, Oliver could hear the familiar theme music of one of the many entertainment news shows on at that time of night. As he was combing the cupboards and refrigerator for something other than cereal and milk, he was so very tired of cornflakes. He heard some coverage of one of the Los Angeles area heroes, Golden Gal. He resisted the temptation to run in and see some of the video. Golden Gal was known for her costume, which really was very golden, but mostly showed a lot of gal. Doesn't she look good? She's so stylish. Oliver wondered if she was fighting someone or attending a movie premiere. 
it was hard to tell with these shows. Yes, even after battling a supervillain, she still looks fantastic. Truly stunning. I just love her boots. We'll be right back, but first, we're going to leave you with the preview of our next segment of the rest of the interview we showed you yesterday from our exclusive talk last week with the legendary superhero, Metallion. Oliver settled on cereal once again and carried it into the living room. He pulled his phone out of his pocket as he sat down on the couch and noticed he had two messages. They must have come during basketball. He muted the television and called up the messages, putting the phone on speaker so he could start eating as he listened. The first message was from his mother, mostly just checking in, but also complaining about one of her friends. She was retired and living in Arizona and spent most of her time doing various activities with women she seemed not to like much. Maybe it just reminded her of Oliver's dad, who had died a few years before of a heart attack, and who she also seemed to not like much. Oliver had liked him just fine and missed him, but couldn't begrudge him getting some peace and quiet. The second message was from Kate. Oliver had called her to cancel their plans earlier in the day, but she didn't answer, so he was only able to leave a message on her phone. Oliver, I got your message. Well, I sort of felt like I should do this in person, but look, I don't want to see you anymore. I just don't think it's going to work out that we're compatible in the long run. I mean, this is the third time in two weeks you've canceled something because of work. And, well, that would be fine if you were, like, a lawyer or doctor or something important. If you made money. But I deserve better. Look, don't call me. I've got a date anyway. Bye. Oliver sat with a spoonful of cornflakes halfway to his mouth. What amazing timing this was. He had a ton of useless work to do, a sleepless night ahead of him, some kind of sickness most likely coming on, and Kate picked just that time to dump him. So much for the good karma. Perhaps he should have recognized the good for what it was. Just a little something to throw him off before the other shoe dropped. Oliver closed his eyes and waited for it. He knew the depression would begin any moment. He usually got pretty down in the dumps when his relationships ended, and the dumps seemed to be getting significantly lower as he got older, in keeping with impending old maid status. With this news, Oliver knew there was no way he'd be able to get any work done tonight, although he wasn't too worried about that. Undoubtedly, Sergeant Shibolinsky wasn't really counting on having the data by tomorrow morning. In keeping with past experience, it would turn out not to be needed for that meeting. Or he actually did need the original data, and he was awful sorry for the mix-up, or something along those lines. But even after Oliver had noticed the pattern, he had always done the work anyway. What choice did he have? He couldn't just take the chance the sergeant would surprise him. No matter what, Oliver had always just done the work. Only this time, he wasn't sure he could. He envisioned the depression hitting him soon, and coupled with his sickness, the only logical response was to fight back with his newly purchased stash of cold and flu meds. They should sufficiently knock him out so he wouldn't feel the pain of the depression or illness. Sort of like his own medically-induced coma. 
He was pretty sure he would be calling in sick tomorrow. Screw Shabalinsky. The work. Kate. All of it. Oliver sat there waiting for the first wave of depression. And waiting. It should be rolling in any second. Still waiting. Still waiting. He didn't feel horrible. Neither physically nor emotionally. That was different. <laughs> Surprising. He thought about Kate. He waited. The more he thought about it, the more he realized maybe it wasn't a bad thing Kate had broken up with him. Small epiphany. She wasn't that great a girl. It seemed very clear to Oliver now, with numerous incidents from their various dates popping up in his head that were obvious red flags. So very obvious. Incompatible in an extraordinary number of ways. What the hell had he been thinking? He should have dumped her, but maybe this was better. At least this way, Oliver didn't have to do the actual dumping, or even deal with her in person. Really kind of convenient. Instead of depressed, Oliver felt good. Even sort of optimistic. The future was full of possibilities, and he was free to pursue every single one. There was clarity. Why wasn't it always this easy? Oliver shrugged and stuck the spoonful of cornflakes into his mouth that had been waiting throughout this tiny epiphany. He loved cornflakes. That bit not so much an epiphany as just a simple truth. To round out Oliver's surprising evening, the sickness that had seemed such a sure thing earlier in the day failed to show up and make him the miserable wreck he had expected to become. This allowed him to avoid taking all the knockout medications and get the revised data work done, despite his thinking it wouldn't get done at all. Oliver was even finished by 11.30 after expecting it would take all night. He didn't think such a thing was possible, but he was in the zone, work-wise, and, and just pounded it out like it was nothing. After packing his finished work into his backpack, Oliver wasn't even feeling tired yet, perhaps because he had mentally prepared himself to be up all night. So he watched a little late-night television and finally went to bed around 2 in the morning. As he closed his eyes, he thought he would surely regret staying up that late when his alarm went off in the morning. Surprisingly, the morning proved him wrong. The sun was shining in through his only window, bathing everything in such an amazing light that Oliver stepped out on his landing to watch it rise for a while. Then he cooked himself a nice breakfast and ate leisurely in front of the morning shows on television, learning about the coolest new gadgets he couldn't afford and what uncommon meats you could barbecue. He never got to eat breakfast leisurely or learn useless things. Usually it was just pretty much a sprint out the door in the morning. After breakfast, Oliver started dressing for work, leaving the television on for company. It was a little loud, but he knew it wouldn't bother Mrs. Lundquist downstairs because she was pretty hard of hearing. That was possibly the one and only bonus to his apartment. Mrs. Lundquist was a bit on the noisy side and strangely suspicious of Oliver, even though he had never given her any reason to be. Her poor hearing made it a little easier because she wasn't bothering him about each little bump she heard, but on the other hand, there were some things she just misheard or imagined that tended to lead to some bizarre misunderstandings. Oliver usually managed to get those straightened out once he figured out what they were about, and life went on normally. Of course, normal meant Mrs. Lundquist smiled strangely when Oliver handed her his rent check, and routinely watched him through a crack in the curtains whenever she could. It was creepy, but 
it was normal. As Oliver began dressing, the regular network morning show had given way to the local news update. In a bit of a surprise move late in the afternoon yesterday, the mayor's office announced they had filled the superhero position that had been vacant since it was created with the mayor's first budget after taking office. No further information was given on the appointed superhero, although they said there would be a formal introduction next week. Oliver pulled off his t-shirt and reached into the wardrobe for a work shirt. The first one he tried on was a little tight across his chest and shoulders, so he set it aside and tried another, only to get the same result. Oliver stood looking at his shirts. They were both fairly new, and he feared he had done something drastically wrong with the laundry and managed to shrink them. This was not good. He didn't have a lot of good work shirts, and if he had screwed them up, it might mean a trip to the store to buy replacements with money he didn't really have. For now, he delved into the wardrobe for something older, finding a shirt he knew had always been a little big. Oddly enough, it fit perfectly. Oliver guessed he might have managed to shrink it with the others, although he was fairly certain he hadn't worn it in a long time and therefore hadn't washed it. He was a little mystified, but he didn't have the time to figure out the problem right then. Little is known about the hero at this moment, other than what is specified in the budget, which we are told is a low-level hero position, the minimum for a metropolitan area of this size. It's good to know we have such a man protecting our city. Stopping in the bathroom to wash up, Oliver decided that if the shrinking clothes were the bad side of things this morning, then the good side was his hair. As Oliver wet it down and ran a comb through it, he could swear it looked better than it had in a long time. He couldn't quite put a finger on it, but maybe it looked a little fuller, or the receding hairline had somehow managed to gain back some ground. Regardless, the balding that bugged him to a certain degree seemed not so bad as he remembered. He wasn't doing anything special, not smothering any late-night television-advertised miracle stuff on his head, or any homebrew remedies. He wondered if he had eaten something bizarre lately that happened to be some particularly potent natural form of Rogaine. Perhaps something in the tofu no-egg salad or mango-carrot mocha that he'd had at that new overpriced sandwich in a strange drink place that he went to with Roger a couple of days ago. That was bizarre enough to have done something to his hair. He'd hate to have to frequent the place, even if it did help his hair grow. It was something else he'd have to check into more closely that night. Grabbing his gym bag and backpack, Oliver turned off the television and headed out the door. You have been listening to Super Guy by Kurt Klopton, a faux fiction audio production published by Not A Pipe Publishing. Look for the sequel to Super Guy coming this September. This recording, characters, and the situations within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. If you wish to listen to more episodes in advance, search patreon.com, then faux fiction audio, and sign up to be a monthly patron. Or stay tuned until the next week for your free episode. We will see you then. <laughs>